1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now, here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome
3: to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Carlson. Uh, he is the editor of Dow Theory Forecasts and the Drip Investor, uh, and he runs Horizon Publishing, which publishes various investment newsletters. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Well, thanks for having me, Jordan let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, how you've been in the investment business and, and why you uh, f- took over these newsletters a long time ago well i,
4: I started in this business in 1982 uh, so i've been with the same firm for twenty nine years so i guess that makes me a rarity in a sense you know interestingly on my second day on the job here the the dow jones industrial average went up a whopping thirty nine points which doesn't seem like a lot except when you understand that the dow at the time was trading at 790 and that was about a five percent move, and really people peg the beginning of the, the bull markets, indeed, of the 80s and, and the 90s from that day, August 17th. So, when everybody thinks of all the money they've made in the 80s and 90s, and realize it was my second day in the job, well, you're all <laughs> you're, good. Good time. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. welcome. Yes, but uh, um, I've been here as you mentioned. Death or Forecast has been published continuously since 1946. Our Drip Investor newsletter, which I started, has been uh... published since 1992. And we also publish upside, which that newsletter and its various iterations have have been around for about thirty years so um, we're one of the oldest and most widely run investment newsletter publishers in the country right now
3: You're, you You talk about both growth and value. Um, so why don't you kind of give us the argument for value stocks and then growth stocks and how one mixes between value and growth?
4: Well, I think there's, there are certainly market cycles when when value stocks are in vogue. Those stocks where, you know, when you're looking at things like cash flow, uh, price to book, value price to cash flow, uh, low PE stocks, those types of stocks generally run in a vogue. On the other hand, there are times when growth stocks, are usually in vogue those are typically during kind of slow economic periods when investors put a especially strong premium on growth stocks our, our view is we're we're somewhat agnostic to growth or value in a sense that we feel investors can have both um you know it's great to have a value stock it's great to have a growth stock why not invest in a stock that has very strong both growth and value metrics where it you know has very good growth and you can buy that growth at pretty reasonable prices, and that's really kind of the types of stocks that we try to focus on uh, throughout our various newsletters are those companies that kind of have it all, that have as many arrows pointing up, that are grow- score well on growth and value metrics and relative price performance and financial strength.
3: So one of the overall th- themes you have is that dividends uh, really make a difference over time. Give us a sense of why it's better to have a dividend-paying stock versus a a pure growth stock that has no dividends.
4: Well, all all things equal, you know, I'm not necessarily arguing that you every single stock you should own should pay a dividend. I mean, I think there are places in in portfolios to have pure growth stocks as a part of a broad portfolio. Certainly, the strength of a stock like Apple, for example, which doesn't pay a dividend, would bear that out. However, all things equal, it is nice to have dividend-paying stocks in a portfolio. For the reason of that, it's kind of the the burn-the-hand theory, where you know in difficult market periods it's nice to have some return being generated on a regular basis and when you go back and look at the returns of for example the S&P 500 uh, over the long run you know over the last 30 40 50 60 years dividends in that mix reinvested dividends have accounted for at least 40 to 50% of that return so it does make a difference having dividend paying stocks where you get that return and hopefully that return is growing, that dividend stream is growing. Over time, a growing dividend stream can really add up to nice total returns for an investor. So, yes, all things equal to have dividend-paying stocks in a portfolio uh, is very important, and I think it's especially important in the type of markets that we're, we have right now.
3: What are some of the things that investors should look for uh, in evaluating one dividend stock versus another? I mean, there are lower dividends there are some extremely high dividends and maybe that's a warning sign sometimes so what are some of the things that people should look for uh... in evaluating dividend uh, paying stocks
4: well i think there's two parts of it and one is evaluate the dividend characteristics of the company but two also evaluate the overall investment merit of the company and i think that's on the second score that a lot of investors kind of drop the ball everybody you know dividend investors they classify themselves as dividend investors but at the end of the day most dividend investors aren't dividend investors they're yield investors where they focus on the highest yielding stocks um... sometimes that can pay off but as you kind of alluded to jordan uh... you know dividends yield sometimes can be a proxy for risk And the higher the dividend yield the the higher the risk that that dividend is going to be cut or omitted etc what we try to do is focus on companies where dividends are strong and most importantly where the dividend stream can grow and marry those companies with growing dividend streams to companies that are also good from a total investment standpoint from an investment quality standpoint oftentimes that means you're not necessarily fishing in a pond of five percent yielders because quite honestly uh, those stocks virtually all your return is going to be generated i think by the dividend yield and, and appreciation over time is tough to come by. We have tended to find pretty good luck in, in looking at stocks with dividend yields in the one and a half to two percent up to around four percent. That's kind of, in my opinion, the sweet spot for dividend stocks because in there you can get a yield that's very competitive with what you're getting on a 10 year treasury note. You can buy stocks that have growing dividend streams and most importantly, they have decent appreciation potential and that combination generally can prove quite rewarding for investors over
3: time how important is reinvesting dividends what kind of impact uh, does that have over a long period of time to reinvest dividends compared to taking them out and spending them you know it's huge
4: i mean i realize there are investors out there that need to take the dividends to supplement their other forms of cash flow so reinvesting dividends really is not an option for them i get that but if you are somebody uh, that is, you know, ambivalent between the two. You don't need to take your dividends. Reinvesting dividends is one of the most powerful things you can do in an investment program. Interestingly, it's also one of the the, the ones that people kind of roll their eyes on, oh, big deal, I'm reinvesting my dividends. But uh, reinvesting your dividends can have a tremendous compounding effect on a portfolio over time. But, but even uh, more so, if you have a program of reinvesting dividends on a regular basis, you are guaranteeing yourself of buying stocks during lousy market periods and that sounds on the surface like well why would anybody want to buy during lousy market periods well you know everybody wants to buy low and sell high jordan but nobody ever really wants to do that or can do it because nobody wants to buy stocks when they're down because they're usually down for a reason if you have part of an investment program geared around dividend reinvestment you assure yourselves that even during times when it's virtually impossible for you to muster up the courage to buy you know, thinking 2008 here, for example, near the end of 2008, the beginning of 2009. If you are reinvesting dividends, at least part of your investment process is putting money into the market at these depressed prices. And I can guarantee you, for a lot of people, dividend reinvesting was the only purchases they made in 08 and in and early 09. And, and I can also tell you, two years later, they're awfully glad they did buy during those times. So I think that's one of the unsung values of dividend reinvesting is that it really forces you to at least have part of your portfolio geared toward investing during substantial market declines when you should be investing quite honestly
3: how do dividend-oriented stocks tend to perform in down markets compared to pure growth stocks? Is there somewhat of a cushion there? Uh, Typically there is,
4: and not all market periods. 2008, for example, was kind of an anomaly in the sense that Many dividend paying stocks didn't necessarily hold up any better than non- dividend payers. and the reason for that was kind of the nature of the decline in 2008. That was really a, a you know focused well, all stocks got beat up, but but financials got beat up especially. And historically, financials was really a, a bastion for a lot of dividend paying stocks. So in that instance, in '08, you had a lot of dividend paying stocks because they were in the financial sector just getting hammered. Typically, dividend payers do have less volatility than non-dividend payers, so typically they will hold up better in down markets 2008 notwithstanding. So there is a bit of a cushion there, and yes, the the dividends do pay a cushion. Uh, The the yield provides a bit of a cushion too, but again, it will depend to some extent on the nature of the bear market for that period.
3: And what kind of tax advantages, at least under current law, do people have getting dividends? uh compared to you know regular income from uh interest and, and uh things on bonds and, and uh, interest bearing accounts of various types well that's a
4: huge that's a huge impact especially when you're looking at after tax yields uh for example you know right now nobody's getting rich off of their bank CDs or or treasuries obviously I don't need to tell your folks out there that uh you know they're yielding virtually nothing but whatever yield they are generating on a, a CD or, or you know or a treasury note or, or a, a bond short-term bond you're paying your full ordinary income tax rate on that versus in the case of dividends qualified dividends the maximum tax rate on that is 15 percent so there's a substantial tax benefit in terms of generating cash flow via dividends versus generating cash flow via interest rate on bonds and that makes you know a two percent yield uh even more attractive on a stock from an after-tax standpoint than a 2% yield on a 10-year treasury.
3: And how would you compare uh dividend stock where they're raising the dividend over time uh to a bond where you basically have a locked-in rate as far as protection against inflation? Yeah, well again,
4: you know, the, the, people ask me all the time, what are good in- inflation protectors, what types of uh, investments and one of the things that comes to mind is that boy, if you have some mechanism in your investments to be able to increase the cash flow on a regular basis to offset the impact of inflation that's not a bad way to go and that's where dividend paying stocks and especially stocks with growing dividend streams can make a difference i mean you know your cash flow if your cash flow on a stock is increasing you know three four five seven ten percent on an annual basis well in excess of, of inflation that puts you ahead of the game from the standpoint of cash flow so without a doubt you know dividend paying stocks particularly those with growing dividend streams can be very uh, effective hedges against inflation
3: a lot of people don't seem to realize that they go for the so-called safety of bonds that have very low yields but if rates go up they can get hurt and there's there's no way they can increase the interest they're being paid on the bonds
4: you're right and and let me just
3: relate a a quick story that kind of just drove this home in spades to me
4: last year in in the fall and you saw a number of blue chip companies issuing debt and they were issuing three-year notes in many cases it was ibm microsoft walmart i believe coca-cola and they were issuing three-year notes um, at interest rates coupon rates of one percent or less and they were selling large amounts of it. jordan you know one billion one and a half billion dollars worth of this and what was causing me to scratch my head here you had investors flocking to these bond offerings to be able to get, a, you know, generate a whopping one percent on their bond investment per year for the next three years, when they could have been buying the same stocks, the underlying stocks, and getting yields two, three times that, yields that are tax preference. So, um, there are other ways to generate income other than bonds. That's for sure.
3: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Chuck Carlson. He's the editor of Dow Theory Forecasts, a Drip Investor. We're going to learn more about dividends and how to earn high yields in today's society. We'll be back after this.
0: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Carlson. He's the editor of Dow Theory Forecast, Drip Investor, and The Upside. And Chuck, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, why don't you just tell us briefly about the different newsletters and how they can find them? I think you can even offer them a free trial. Uh, tell us about the three different newsletters. Sure. Our, our
4: flagship publication is Dow Theory Forecast. We've been publishing it weekly since 1946. It's a newsletter that tends to focus more on larger companies. Uh, there's a special emphasis on uh, a number of income-type uh, stocks, such as we do a regular feature on evaluating over 80 utilities on a regular basis. So it's really more geared toward larger companies, blue chips, a lot of dividend-paying stocks, etc. Uh, we also publish the DRIP Investor, D-R-I-P Investor. This newsletter focuses exclusively on those companies that offer these programs called dividend reinvestment plans and direct purchase programs where investors can actually buy stock directly from the company. We tell you who offers these plans, what new plans are coming out, and most importantly, we tell you which companies are good companies and bad companies for investment. Um, our third newsletter is called Upside. It focuses on small and mid-sized companies. I think it has an, a, a special attraction here because getting research on these types of companies continues to get more and more difficult. So, We offer what I think is, is a pretty good research tool to find opportunities in the, in the small and mid-cap space. All three of those are available at their websites, uh, free trials for Dow 3 Forecast. The website is dowtheory.com. For Drip Investor, the website is DripInvestor.com, and for Upside, the website is UpsideStocks.com. So that's DowTheory.com, DripInvestor.com, and UpsideStocks.com.
3: Very good. Let's describe what the Dow Theory is, because there's a specific theory uh, that it was came from a long time ago that predicts the market. Why don't you describe what the Dow theory is and what kind of a track record it's had?
4: Sure, the Dow theory was developed by Charles Dow, who was actually the first publisher of the Wall Street Journal, and it really had its origins back in the 1890s. Dow, uh, Dow at the time was trying to develop kind of a window onto the economy and and, and threw that onto the stock market, and, and Charles Dow developed over time uh, these two indices, the, the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Average. and And kind of the fundamental... Uh, underpinnings of the Dow theory say listen you've got two very important aspects of the economy you've got the De- represented by the Dow Jones Industrial Average this these are the companies that that simply put make stuff and then you have the Dow Jones Transportation Average and this consists of companies that ship stuff and for an economy to be in sync you need both of those indices to be in sync hopefully confirming one another and moving higher in unison conversely when you see both of those indices moving lower in unison that means you know things are out of whack in the economy and that'll probably relate to corporate profits being down etc so in in simplest terms the dow theory looks at the performance of the dow jones industrial average and dow jones transportation average and from the movement of those two indices determines whether the market's primary trend i.e. the trend that typically lasts you know, anywhere from six to twelve to eighteen to twenty-four months. Indeed, the longer-term trend is bullish or bearish. Uh, you know, the Dow Theory, like any market timing tool, I'd be lying if I said it's been perfect in its hundred-plus years that it's been around. But I've been doing this for nearly 30 years, and for my money, if you're trying to get some sense of whether the market's primary trend is bullish or bearish, it's as good a tool as I've ever seen.
3: So, does one lead another? Do, do the transports come first, and then the industrials, or the other way around? Or what is? exactly the relationship between the two of them that gives you a market signal one way or the other
4: Well, typically you know it depends on the market environment if one's leading versus the other interestingly probably the most economically sensitive of the two indices is the dow jones transportation average which probably would surprise a lot of people but the fact of the matter is in terms of its sensitivity to economic trends uh... and in future economic trends the dow jones transportation average typically is a bit more sensitive so it is not unusual to see a little bit more reaction in the transports that is then confirmed by the performance in the industrials but I've seen periods when the industrials have led. The key point under the Dow theory though is that you want both of those indices confirming one another in terms of direction. What you don't want to see for example is is one index moving higher and the other index moving lower that under the Dow theory is what's called divergence and potentially a red flag for the market. Interestingly, we saw that here uh, after both of the indices peaked on April 29th, we saw further strength in the Dow Jones transportation average that was not confirmed by further strength and new highs by the Dow Jones industrial average. Uh, that was a red flag, and it finally culminated with both of the industrials and transports going below significant June lows on august 2nd that under the dow theory was kind of a bearish signal and the market has sold off since that point so we we got some divergence right now the dow theory is saying that this is a market that uh, investors need to be a bit cautious with because there is some danger out there
3: when you're looking at these things um, some people would say that transportation is not as important as it used to be because a lot of goods are passed electronically and the internet has made Kind of the physical world less important. Does that play a role in, in the importance of transports today?
4: You know what I, I know. I've heard those things from time to time, but I, you know, again, the proof's in the pudding, and the, and the proof has been pretty effective in still using the, the Dow theory, including the, how the Dow transports are. I mean, yes, there, you know, in terms of the internet and things like that, has has certainly added to the way quote things are shipped. But the, the bottom line is, I mean, the railroads still represent. A very significant part of moving a product throughout this country, um, you know, the, the players like a UPS or a FedEx still give you a nice window into the economy in terms of what their shipping rate, you know, what their shipping capacities are and, and things like that. So, yeah, the world has changed. Uh, you know, keep in mind that the components of the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Average aren't exactly what they were a 100 years ago either, so there has been, you know, as those components have changed, it's kind of changed the face of those two indices as well and modernized them. Um, so, yes, at the end of the day, we we acknowledge that the world has changed, but we also put a fair amount of f- stock and faith in that the indexes have been able to change with that world and, and thereby still maintaining their val- validity as it, as market tools.
3: You have a unique system, a stock rating system called the Quadrix system, uh, which looks at more than 80 variables in six different categories to, uh, give an overall score rating to different stocks. Uh, explain briefly how that works and what those six categories are. Sure. We developed Quadrix, uh,
4: over 11 years ago. The chief architect of it was, is our chief investment officer, Rich Maroney, and we developed it to try to provide us a way to score lots of different stocks, and to do it in a uniform, consistent, disciplined way. And and as an aside, I think that the real value of having a stock rating system like Quadrix is the consistency and discipline it brings to the investment selection process. Uh, and, And the types of markets that we've seen over the last several years where they, you know, last week a perfect example where pretty much every day the market was either going up 400 points or down 400 points, it's very easy to become reactive. Emotional in emotion when markets like that, uh, whereas we have a tool that kind of, you know, unemotionally evaluates a large grouping of stocks on a relative basis, and that's what we do. As you mentioned, there are more than 80 different variables that we rank stocks on in Quadrix. Those 80 variables cut across such important categories as momentum, which is kind of an operating momentum uh, metric. Value, which, again, looks at those traditional value measures like price-to-earnings, price-to-cash-flow, price-to-book, etc. Earnings estimates, what are happening to the company's earnings estimates? Are they rising? Are they falling? Are they rising and accelerating, etc. Quality, which is really kind of a... A consistency of a track record. How consistent have the earnings and sales been? Financial strength, which is kind of as the name implies. What is the financial strength? Does a company have a lot of debt? What's their balance sheet look like, etc.? And then finally, performance, which is a relative price performance. How is the stock performing relative to its peer group as well as all the other stocks in the 4,000 stock universe over the last month, last three months, last six months? Last 12 months, etc., to give you some idea of relative price performance. So across these six categories, there's a tremendous amount of both fundamental data that's being analyzed and weighted, as well as technical data and price movement data that's being analyzed and weighted as well. All funneling up to give us an overall quadric score. And not to get too thick in the weeds, Jordan on Quadrics, but basically we score stocks from zero to 100, with 100 being the highest score. Both in these categories as well as an overall score. So for example, when we're looking for new stock ideas, you know, stocks need to get over a bunch of different hurdles in Quadrics in terms of the minimum scores that they need to get for us to even consider looking at them and recommending them in the newsletters.
3: And what has been the track record? of companies with high quadric scores.
4: It's been very good. I mean, we have a a, a, a chart that we show the uh, kind of a rolling performance of the stocks that are ranked in the top quintile, which are 80 and above, going back to 2000, and, and for those top quintile stocks, the performance has been quite good. This far outperformed stocks in the second quintile, 60 to 80, which have outperformed stocks in the third quintile, and so on and so on. So it's been a very consistent outperformance. Now, it doesn't outperform in every single market period. There are going to be market periods out there where Quadrix does underperform, but we have a pretty good idea when those are going to be given we understand our model. And typically, Quadrix looks at a lot of fundamental data to assess a stock's merit. So there's a bent on quality. And there's also a slight bent toward value, to, given how the value metrics are weighted. So in markets, as I like to say, Joran, where the pigs are really flying um, and the most speculative stocks are really leading the market, we will probably lag a little bit in markets like that. On the other hand, uh, in markets where there's a premium on stock selection, kind of the, the two yards in a cloud of dust grinded out, stock picker's market, we do quite well in those markets. And and over a long period of time, we have demonstrated pretty good value add our quadrics model has.
3: So you're saying for conservative investors uh, who don't want to take as much risk uh, staying with the stocks with high quadrics scores is a more consistent conservative way to do it. You may lag, but overall, you're probably going to do better at lower risk. Yeah, I I think that's fair to say.
4: Again, you're going to certainly be focused in a higher quality stock typically by focusing on higher scores and quadrics. And typically, quality stocks do tend to give you some measure of risk protection. I don't want to necessarily overstate that, as we saw in 2008. When, when stocks want to go down, all stocks are going to go down. But at the margin, certainly uh, higher quality stocks you would expect to hold up better than, than more risky asset classes. Very good.
3: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chuck Carlson. He's the editor of Dow Theory Forecast, uh, The Drip Investor, and Upside. And we'll get more on how to pick stocks in this environment after this.
0: When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel
1: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chuck Carlson, the editor of Dow Theory Forecasts. And another of his newsletter is called the Drip Investor Newsletter. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. Thank you. I want to talk about drips a little bit. Uh, tell us the c- compounding power of a dividend reinvestment plan and why it's a good idea to get involved in them.
4: Well, again, you can turn, uh, you know, I mean, there's been many instances where uh, I go back and look and, uh, you know, for example, if you bought ExxonMobil, you know, put $1,000 or $1,200 into ExxonMobil 10, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, it's a stock that's never been at the top of anybody's leaderboard and yet with the dividends compounding and with the consistency of that stock, you know you would have turned it into a, a, a substantial uh... amount of money so you know the the compounding of that really comes in again where you're buying stocks on a consistent basis you're buying them when they're you know when they're down and you're taking advantage of that and and also you know as the dividend stream increases you're buying even more uh, shares of stocks so it's a it's a it's a real win-win um... You know for example here's a to kind of put it in nuts and bolts if you had invested Jordan five thousand dollars in Johnson and Johnson at the beginning of nineteen eighty five um and and reinvested uh, your annual dividends along the way, your annual dividends now would be worth um, just your annual dividends would be worth seventy one hundred dollars so that means you put five grand in in 85, just your dividends flow now would be more than what you paid for the stock in 1985. So, you know, and then if you're still reinvesting those $7,100 to buy even more shares, well, you can get a sense of the compounding going on there.
3: And how about some of the cost advantages of it as far as not having to pay commissions and. Having it be automatic. Explain how that works.
4: Well, sure. When you in these programs, and the programs are offered by about a thousand companies. These program, all the companies, the details of the plans may differ. Some companies have no fees on the buy side. A company like Exxon, for example, which I mentioned, they don't charge you a penny to buy stock through the company, and you can do it with investment amounts of as little as fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars. So you're not talking about large sums of money. Anybody can do it. They don't charge you a penny. Um, So even in this this age of you know low cost discount brokerage commissions, uh, you know there are still these are still very easy ways to do it. They don't charge you a penny to buy stock. They don't charge you a penny to reinvest dividends. On the other hand, there are some companies that do charge fees, and that's why you need to be careful about which companies you get into and whether the fees do make sense. In most cases, the fees are still going to be lower than what you would pay by going through a stockbroker, but nevertheless, you need to kind of do your homework. All these plans have a plan brochure that you can read to get the details on the plan. What are the minimum and maximum amounts you can invest? Is there an enrollment fee? Are there purchase fees? Interestingly, what other services do they offer? As I mentioned, Exxon, for example, within its plan, as an IRA option. So you can invest directly with the company. They don't charge you a penny in commissions to invest. And you can set up an IRA, including a Roth IRA, in that plan. So there are some companies out there in these plans, Jordan, that will actually sell stock to you $0.95 cents on the dollar, uh, where you can buy stock at a discount. Um, and those are the types of things we talk about and tell investors about in DRIP Investor Newsletter. So they're very neat plans. They may not be for everybody. Um, and they may not be suited for every type of invest, investment you make. But certainly, for a lot of investors, you can kind of have your cake and eat it, too. Maybe there are certain stocks that work better through a broker, and you buy those stocks through a broker. On the other hand, there may be some stocks that work better for you through a drip, and you can certainly buy them through the, through the drip programs.
3: Do you like those discount drip plans where they're giving you a 5% discount? Is Those tend to be high-quality stocks?
4: Oh, it depends on the company. I, well, no. Sometimes they're not very high-quality stocks, and that's why they're offering a discount as a carrot to lure investors. On the other hand, there are, there can be pretty solid companies that do offer that, too, because it's still cheaper for the company to raise equity capital directly by offering the discount than it would be for them to go out and hire a goldman sachs or a merrill lynch or so forth to issue new stocks so again it's like anything else just because a company offers a dividend reinvestment plan doesn't necessarily make it a good investment likewise just because a company has a discount within its dividend reinvestment plan doesn't necessarily make it a good a a good investment you still have to do your homework and that's one of the things that we do with drip investor newsletter is do the homework for you and tell you a this company offers this b should you or shouldn't you invest in it because of the quality of the
3: investment can you name two or three companies that offer discount drip plans that you think are high quality? Yeah, I, I've uh, always been a, a pretty good fan of Aqua
4: America, which is a uh, uh, a water utility, one of the largest uh, water utilities in the country. They offer a discount on reinvested dividends. Uh, their symbol is WTR. Aqua America also has a program where you can buy stock uh... excuse me where you can buy stock directly through the company even your first share in every share they don't charge you a penny to do that uh... you can also set up an ira within their plans so they have a pretty good uh... they have a pretty good program uh, in terms of discounts there are also a number of uh... real estate investment trusts for example that will have discounts built into their plans so investors that are interested in the REIT world you should have a fair number to choose from in terms of those offering dividend reinvestment plans as well as offering a discount
3: and tell them a little bit about the directory of drips that you offer and what they would find in there sure
4: we do offer a directory that lists all of these companies and it's nice because within that directory we list all of the plan specifics so we do the homework for you so if you're interested in a particular company to see if it has a dividend reinvestment plan you can look it up in the directory if it does we lay out all the details of the plan. What's the minimum and maximum investment you can make? Can you buy stock the first shares directly, <clears throat> excuse me, or do you need to already be a shareholder before you can participate in the plan? Is an IRA option available? Is a discount available? What are the dividend payment dates? We list the months in which the companies pay dividends, which is kind of nice because there are a lot of investors out there and it's pretty easy to do to structure a portfolio that pays dividends every month. And by owning a basket of stocks that have different dividend payment dates, you can actually get a dividend check every month of the year, and we tell you how to do that as well. So we do a lot of the work for you on all of these companies. We give you addresses, contact phone numbers, et cetera, to get started.
3: Do some of these companies offer what used to be called freebies to shareholders, various kinds of non-cash uh... Discounts on company products and things like that. Yeah, that that has
4: declined. I actually wrote a book called Free Lunch on Wall Street several years ago that detailed those companies that had these types of freebies, perks, and giveaways for shareholders. They they don't do it nearly as much anymore. Occasionally, you might see an annual report, and inside the annual report, the company may have included coupons and on their various products. But that that practice, unfortunately, has kind of gone gone away. Jordan.
3: Yeah. Uh, I just want to briefly talk about your other newsletter, which is Upside. What is the uh, procedure or the methodology they use to pick medium and small cap growth companies?
4: Well, you know, it's very similar to to what we do when we're picking stocks for for down Theory forecaster,
3: drip investor as well. I mean, we,
4: we rely on our Quadric stock rating system to be a very important first screen where stocks need to, to have certain threshold scores in terms of an overall quadric score as well as meaningful scores in the important uh, categories such as value and performance. And then our analyst team, that's spearheaded by Rich Maroney and David Wright, will go in and uh, kind of focus on stocks that get through that first score- screen. I think what you'll find is that, you know, especially when you're you're looking in, in a world of small and mid-cap stocks, which, quite honestly, you're probably looking at riskier type stocks, one of the advantages of, I think, the newsletter and having a tool, again, that has a bias toward quality is that we typically – Kind of point investors in what we think are kind of higher quality small and mid cap stocks. Again, that's not going to eliminate all the risk from investing in these, but I think it, it tilts the
3: odds a little bit more in your favor. You're saying that with most medium and small size companies, a lot of them are h- lower quality and therefore more speculative, and people get into trouble taking too much risk.
4: I think they do, by and large. I think, you know, the, the, in, investors in these types of stocks need to kind of carve out no A. This is how much of my portfolio I think makes sense to put in these types of stocks. But B, I think another decision that people sometimes make wrongly is that they decide because of their risk, they don't want any of them in their portfolio, and I think that's really a mistake. Um, Certainly over the last two and a half years, it's been smaller and mid-sized stocks that have really led the way, and not to have exposure... Uh, even, you know, minor exposure to those stocks would have been detrimental to portfolio returns. So we're kind of a big believer in, you know, not necessarily excluding particular stock types from your portfolio, that, you know, you can have value and growth stocks, you can have large cap and small cap stocks and mid cap stocks, and that is the best way, I think, to build a portfolio that can endure over time and generate worthwhile rewards for you
3: is is using a mutual fund a good way to do that as well where you have a more diversified portfolio of small and mid cap stocks? Well, certainly if you don't have enough money to diversify properly across individual
4: stocks, a mutual funds then do offer a way to do that and obviously with the advent of of exchange traded funds, uh there are a, 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 you know a lot of different ways investors can kind of achieve those types of uh exposure across you know, small, mid, and large cap stocks. So yes, I mean, if you know, we I would not necessarily recommend that. If you know, if you have fairly limited funds and you're going to go out and you want small cap exposure, you just buy one small cap stock and and kind of pray. Uh, that's probably not the way to do it. Fortunately, there are ways that you can do um, mutual funds and exchange traded funds to to help you diversify in that space.
3: Why would you pick an ETF over a mutual fund in a a similar category, or or how would you evaluate one versus the other? Well, yeah, you may
4: may or you may not, depending on a number of things. First, you know, obviously fees matter, so you want to look at the fees uh, of the two. Second, um, typically uh in the exchange-traded fund space, those are basically indexes that you're investing in. So there's nothing wrong with that, but if it's a space where you think active management may have some potential for outperformance, a greater potential, and a lot of people feel that in the small-cap space where there's probably more inefficiencies in stocks, that active management may have an advantage. Uh, versus a simple index of small cap funds may be a reason why to to go to an actively managed mutual fund versus an exchange-traded fund on the other hand there are some probably tax benefits or at least tax flexibility etfs typically not always but typically maybe a little bit more tax friendly than actively managed mutual funds so uh, again you know i don't think it necessarily has to be framed as one versus the other Uh, nor does it necessarily have to be framed stocks versus funds, that you either own stocks or you own funds, either you own ETS or you own openly ended mutual funds. I think one of the beauties of kind of this individual investor revolution that we've been, that's been kind of evolving over the last 25 years with this growth of product for individuals is that You have an ability, all investors really have an ability to kind of mix and match investments that make the most sense for their situation and build a very diversified portfolio.
3: Very good. Okay, we're going to go to a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chuck Carlson. He's the editor of Dow Theory Forecast, uh, the Drip Investor newsletter, and Upside. And we'll be back after this.
2: Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions, religious, scientific, political, or financial. Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction full of passion, wisdom, and wit. Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin unscripted and uncensored. The go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues. Head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored. Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: If you're looking for creative ways to improve your bottom
4: line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a
0: forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your
4: Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America
3: my guest this hour is Chuck Carlson of Dow Theory Forecasts, the DRIP Investor Newsletter, and the Upside Newsletter. Welcome back to the show, Chuck. Thank you. We want to talk a little bit about mutual funds. You have a category, what you call all-weather income funds. Um, how do you pick them, and what should one look for in a mutual fund that has relatively high dividend yields? Well, they're, they're picked with, you know, we looked at things like uh,
4: risk-adjusted returns, uh, we have a scoring system on funds that takes into account things like manager stability, fees, peer group, performance relative to peer group, et cetera, so we, we have kind of a formula that we look at funds and then we try to find those that we feel represent, quote, all-weather income funds, funds that will hold up reasonably well regardless of what's going on in, in, in the market at that time. Um, so it's kind of a combination of looking at fees, looking at consistency of performance, Looking at uh, estimated yields and then trying to surmise how they'll hold up during kind of um, all market environments.
3: Why don't you give us an example or two of uh, uh, some funds that you consider high-quality all-weather income funds?
4: Yeah, two funds that, that I think are outstanding funds, and they're kind of mirror image of one another, and they're both Vanguard funds. The Vanguard Wellesley Income Fund. Uh, the symbol on that is V is Invictor W I N X. And the Vanguard Wellington Fund, the, van, the symbol is V as in Victor, W-E-L-X. The Vanguard Wellesley Income Fund is a, is a very good fund for kind of investors that want some stock exposure but are, are, you know, more conservative investors. About 40% of the portfolio is stocks typically and about 60% is fixed income. The Vanguard Wellington Fund is the exact mirror image. It's about 60% stocks and 40% fixed income. Both of them have very good track records. Both of them have yields in the three to four percent range. Very low expenses. Both of them have expenses of, of .3 percent or below. They score very well on our fund scores and, uh, they've been just very consistent performers. Again, all weather, all weather income funds. So, in an environment where it's tough to generate, you know, a tremendous amount of income, they throw off pretty good income income that's, you know, 50 to 100 percent higher than you can get on a 10-year treasury. They have a growth component to them with the stocks. They have a dividend growth component with those stocks, but they also have a way to kind of dampen the portfolio volatility as well.
3: And then on the individual stocks, you have what you call a focus list, uh, which are the, the cream of the crop, I guess. Uh, what would be two or three examples you have consistently liked that have done well uh, within your focus list, and why do you like them? Yeah, I mean, one stock is IBM. It's been a long-time favorite. It
4: continues to to do quite well. Uh, The nice thing with IBM is, uh, again, you have a a dividend yield there that's close to 2%, which, again, is a pretty good yield relative to 10-year Treasuries. Good dividend growth. Their earnings have been quite strong. It scores quite well in our Quadric system. And all in all, it's just a nice, solid stock uh... second stock that we like quite a bit is mastercard uh... mastercard was one of the few companies that during the markets meltdown came out with earnings that were quite good and the stock responded in kind you get a little bit of a dividend it's not a huge dividend payer, but you do get a bit of a dividend i think the use of of plastic to continue to drive transactions uh... is a plus for the stock and and uh, we think that stocks one that can move higher so those are two stocks ibm symbol ibm and MasterCard
3: symbol MA. Another area you cover a lot in your newsletter is utilities. Um, first of all, why do you like utilities uh, overall and then what how do you pick amongst all the many utilities the ones you like best? Well, we think utilities offer an interesting place in a portfolio because again, especially
4: in a yield-hungry environment, uh, utilities do provide pretty good dividend yield. The, the, our, we have a portfolio called our Top 15 Utility Portfolio that's comprised, not surprisingly, of our 15 favorite utility stocks. And right now that that portfolio is yielding about 4.2%. Those stocks are selected, our favorites, based on a number of factors. We look at their overall Quadric scores, but we also have a scoring system that ranks stocks within their peer group. So. We can rank stocks, for example, in the utility sector, one utility stock versus another utility stock. And we put a lot of credence in those scores and try to focus on those utility stocks that score well against their peer group. Some names in that top 15 utility portfolio uh, that people may want to uh, focus on include uh, PPNL, symbol PPL, next era Energy, symbols NEE, Duke Energy, symbol D-U-K, and A-G-L Resources, symbol is A-G-L. So those are some stocks that uh, we feel are, are pretty attractive stocks right now.
3: Do you have a preference for natural gas or oil or nuclear or coal-related utilities? Does it make a difference to you? No, it, it doesn't
4: per se. Um, it, it, we, we have a mixture of energy, uh, of natural gas, and of uh uh, coal-fired, uh, we have some nuke exposure in there, so no, it's it's just how, how does a company score in our process, what kind of dividend yield, what kind of growth potential, Etc. So we probably do have a little bit more of a bias toward growing utilities as opposed to, to ones that are just simply, you know, they're flatlining on their growth, so there is a little bit of a growth bent to it, but this portfolio has a nice mixture of a variety of types of utilities.
3: As we come to a close, why don't you kind of summarize why it would benefit somebody uh, to do your strategies of, of uh, safe high yields that are compounded compared to keeping it in the money market fund or CD if they're so scared of the volatility of the marketplace?
4: Well, you know what? I mean, each individual has to kind of decide for themselves the level of risk that they want to take. But I can tell you camping out in a mutual, in, in a money market fund or a bank CD may feel good when the market's falling on, uh, you know, one week. But the fact of the matter is, It is no way to try to build wealth over time, and even the most conservative investor has to build wealth over time, if nothing else, to offset the impact of inflation. That's going to be virtually impossible to do that anymore in the, safe, quote, safest of investments, I think. You know, investors need to broaden their scope to include at least a portion of their portfolios in dividend-paying stocks. It's a way to, again, offset inflation. It's a way to grow their cash flow stream. It's a way to implement a bit of growth into a portfolio. And I don't care if you're 60 or 70 or, or even 80 years old. To strip all growth out of the portfolio, to strip all risk out of the portfolio, um, is is the wrong way to go, I mean again, we all need some growth component. we all need some component to improve our cash flow to offset inflation and you 're not going to get that in, in the in this quote safe investments you 're going to need some exposure to stocks.
3: Do you and, find uh, people do get scared and put money into cash and so called safe vehicles when the market goes down and regret it later? Oh, it happens all the time because the problem
4: is they never they never get back in the game it 's and and your your typical mindset for an investor works like this. If they pull money out and the stock market goes down, do they put it back in? No, because why? Well, the market's going down. Well, let's say the market starts to go up. Do they put it in then? No. Why? Well, the market's going up, and I'm going to wait for it to come back down. So consequently, they never get back in. I'm not saying that you should have all your money in stocks, and certainly individuals need to kind of calibrate for themselves what makes sense. But what I am suggesting is that if you think you are going to be able to perfectly market time, market moves over time, and that's the key thing, over time, you might get lucky a time or two, but to do it consistently over time, I think you're kidding yourself. And the problem is the one time you mess it up, um, you're going to undo all the good you did before. So. At the end of the day, I think you know. Again, what it, what makes sense is to develop an asset allocation that makes sense for your situation. If you want to tweak that based on market movements, I think that's fine. Um, if you want to try to adjust things at the margin to provide a little bit more cushion during down markets, that's fine. But at the end of the day, if you're really aggressively all or nothing, I think that's a mistake.
3: Very good. My guest this hour has been Chuck Carlson. Uh, he's the author, the editor of Dow Theory Forecasts. The Drip Investor on the Upside Newsletter. You can find out more about his newsletters uh, at DowTheory.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Chuck. Thank you. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.